I've been trying to preach this sermon now since the 1st of January. If you notice, uh, setting our sails for the new year. Setting our sails for the new year. We're navigating through the year of 2017. Notice what we have in the introduction. One ship drives east and another drives west with the same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that teach us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of faith as we voyage alone through life. Tis the set of our soul that decides its goal and not the calm and not the strife. Ella Wheeler Wilcox. So I want us to talk a little bit about uh, setting ourselves for the new year. We do have some very special guests with us today, uh, uh, Michael and Jolene McAfee, and we're glad to have them. They're now living in Virginia. They lived in Iowa, uh, pastor the church there. He uh, started the church there and pastored for years. Now his son is pastoring, but they have a beautiful daughter, and she is at Regent University. Her name is Morgan, and uh they are very proud of her. I think she had in high school a 4.3. And, uh, and so she's now, as Brother Michael is, is at Regent in, uh, in Virginia. So, uh, Michael and Jolene, thank you. Would just stand and just say hi to the people so they know who you are. Thank them for being here. Last year, we gave uh, 40 or provided $45,000 for qualified students to go to college or go to seminary or go and further their education. By the way, if you have a son or daughter that's uh, going to be in college next year, uh, we would be glad to take the application and you would simply go online, uh, ask one of us, Sister Carol, myself, or Brother Michael, or some of us about how to do that and then there's a there is an application there and there's a possibility that uh, there will be assistance for you I've said this so many times I want to say it again since 1991 we've provided almost a million dollars to qualified students so we are excited about that read with me if you will and I'm going to read the amplified version of this Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 the overhead projector or the screen is reading a little bit different than what I have, but you'll get the gist of it as we read together Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. So that we are no longer children, spiritual, or spiritually rather, immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea. And carried about by every wind of shifting uh, doctrine, by the cunning and trickery and unscrupulous men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit. We know that is so true today. Let me read once again. This uh, quote by Ella Wheeler Wilcox, because I love it. And I think it is so true when it comes to our lives and it comes to our, our journey, life's journey in this world today. 
One ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tell us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of fate as we voyage along through life. Tis the set of our soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. Uh, you notice, first of all, serious sailing involves a lot of hard work, expert knowledge of the winds and of the sea. I am reminded of Christopher Columbus that had a desire to sail to Asia. In fact, when he discovered America, he was not even looking for America. Uh, He went to several, first of all to Portugal, to uh, get financial assistance so he could go. A lot of people thought he was crazy. And uh, then after going to Portugal, he goes to Italy and asked them. Portugal said, no, we're not going to finance your crazy trip. Italy said, no, we're not going to give you any money. Then he goes to the queen and the king of Spain and asked them if they would sponsor him financially to discover or find a new way. Most of you know, most people did not know or think the world was round, and again, they thought he was crazy. The queen and the king said no, but he continued to insist, and he he persevered until finally they changed their mind and said that they would sponsor his trip. And he began to sail. I looked at the, uh, those ships that he sailed on, the three ships where they sailed, and they were not big at all. I was, of course, this was a replica of them, but they were not big at all. And I thought to myself, you're going to sail on these small ships. How far did he sail? I think... It was about 5,424 miles. And he sailed for five weeks. Somebody said nine weeks. I think it was more than nine weeks he sailed. And there were times when they were discouraged, they were distraught. And in his diary or in his recordings, there were just one thing written page after page after page. And here's what Columbus said. We sailed on. We sailed on. I don't know where you are in your journey today. I don't know where you are in your sailing today. But I'm sure there are times when you just have to hang your hat on something that's stable. Or you have to trust God by faith. And you can't see anything that says that you're okay. And that you're in the right direction. And you just simply say, I'm sailing on. I'm taking one step at a time. I'm going by faith and I am trusting God. And he said, we are sailing on. Serious sailing involves a lot of hard work. Not only that, 
but it, it, it involves a knowledge of the wind and the sea. And if you'll notice the national methods of the sea voyages many years ago, first of all, accidental navigation, going wherever the winds of chance take you. And I find that there are people that are traveling live sea and they're just going wherever the winds take them. They have no goal, they have no vision, and they're just simply drifting along with the wind. Another means of navigation is the release of ravens. They had birds back then and they would release those birds. And if the ravens would circle, they were not near land. But if they flew in a specific direction, the ship would follow, assuming that they were headed for land. And another way of uh, certainly navigating the ships was sailing close to the shore. And if you study the life of Paul, especially on his way to Rome, is that they sailed close to shore and they had specific locations on shore where they could see so they would not get lost. Once they lost sight of land, they were lost. You remember when Peter walked on the water, he lost sight of Jesus Christ and he sunk. A lot of people lose his sight of where God wants them to be, what God has for them, and the goals that they need to have, and they're lost. They're going from here to there. I dare say that our culture today has moved the great sights that we once could measure by and go by and know that we were in the right direction. But if you follow the culture today and follow our society today, you won't know where you are. And that's the way it was with those sailing without specific means to sail. The celestial Navigation, determining where you are in relation to a fixed object in the sky. In fact, that's still done today. The most widespread method of celestial navigation is they had to find the North Star. Wow. We got out in the dark this week driving down Colmill Road. And we have never seen the North Star as bright as it was. It was so bright. And that's how many mariners and sailors could tell where they were that they were following the North Star. Now, how does one ship go one way with the same wind that another ship goes the other way? Some ships sail into the wind. And how do they do that? They do what is called tacking. They zigzag. They'll go from one side to the other. And they're able to go toward the wind. In other words, the wind would blow them the other way. And sometimes in our life's journey, we may have to zigzag or tack a little bit. But we need to go forward. When the headwind is against us and the storms 
are against us and the circumstances certainly are not pleasing, we can still go forward if we keep our eyes on the great navigator. If we keep our eyes today on the divine navigator, which is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Notice our spiritual north star. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you and to give you assurance of these things for the churches. And then he goes on to say, capital R, I am the root, the source, the life, and the offspring of David, the radiant and the bright morning star. You want to know if you're going in the right direction? You want to know if your life is going to measure up to what the scripture says? You want to know if you're going to reach the port that God has for you to reach? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the bright and the morning star. By his immovable presence in our life, we are able to chart our present and our future locations. Amen. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you look to him, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not the carnal things, not the natural things, not the things that the devil tries to bring and be for us. Not on things, he says, that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. There's a song that I enjoy singing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's where we need to focus, and that's where we need to go. Tacking against the headwinds of deception and lies. Probably the most well-known story in the Bible is the story of David and Goliath. And we look at David killing Goliath and we say, Oh, what a miracle. And I must say it was one of the greatest miracles. But let me tell you what happened before David ever slew Goliath. Most of us know that young David had been anointed king, and yet he was still tending the sheep of his father, uh, Jesse. The three brothers, the oldest and the other two, had gone to fight the Philistines. And so one day, Jesse called to David and he said, David, I want you to take some of these goods and go see how your brothers are faring and go see them. And I love the story where it says, and David left his sheep in the hands of someone else. He was not looking just to run off and not do his job, not take care of those sheep. God's not going to promote me to do something here if, I don't, if I'm not faithful here. You see, we want God to do all of these things for us here, but we're not willing to be faithful and true here. So he left those sheep. He left to go to where his brothers were, and he arrived. Well, here's a shepherd boy. He's no fighter. 
He's no warrior. Evidently, Eliab, his oldest brother, was thought to be really the nice-looking hulk and hunk and, and, and all for to be king because they thought, sure, when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons, that this was the one that was going to be king. But not so. God looks on the heart and not on the outward appearance. Amen. So when David arrived, so first of all, he was a shepherd boy. What an obstacle. Second of all, he got to his brothers. And when he arrived, out comes this almost 10-foot man on the other side of the valley. And he is hollering out to the soldiers and Saul, the king of Israel, listen, come and fight me. If you win, the Philistines will serve the Israelites. If I win, the Israelites would serve the Philistines. And David heard that. And David listened. And he asked this guy, he said, hey, what's this, what's this, what's this fellow doing? He's defying the God of Israel. Well, the oldest brother heard him and he said, What in the world are you doing here? And he said, Who did you leave? Listen to what the Amplified said. Those scrawny sheep with. Those few little sheep. Who'd you leave them with? And why did you come? And he just really took him to task. Evidently, the older brother was jealous because he was not chosen. I don't know why he was so against his younger brother, but he was. And David said, I'm just asking a question. I just want to find out. And so he went around in different ones and he said, what happens to the person that kills that giant? And they said, oh, it's going to be great. First of all, you're given a lot of money. Second of all, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. I'd fought him just for that. And third of all, you get get one of the daughters of King Saul. But David didn't have his eyes necessarily on what he would get. He went from here to there and he said, listen, that man is defying God. He didn't have his eyes on the sheep. He didn't have his eyes on his older brother that tried to discourage him and to be an obstacle to him. He didn't have his eyes on winning the hands of Saul's daughter and the money you would get. He had his eyes on one thing, and that was the glory and the honor of God. Saul heard about it, and he said, bring him to my tent. David said, I want to go fight that giant. Saul says, you can't do that. You're rugged. You don't know anything about fighting. David said, wait a minute. I was watching the sheep and out came a bear one day. And he said, I took him the test and killed him. I was watching the sheep one day and out came a lion. And I killed him. In fact, I tore him to pieces with my bare hands. And he said, I can, I can take this giant. I can get him. Saul so said, okay. You can go. But here, put on my armor. So David put on the, can you imagine this little guy putting on the armor of Saul, King Saul being, uh, what, very tall, six foot something, and just a warrior. David looked at himself. That's something else he had to overcome. Because the king, the king said, you wear this. And David said, can't do it. I can't even hardly move with this song. Listen, 
Every way David turned, there were obstacles. Everywhere he turned, there were circumstances. And you may be facing the very same thing. Before you even get to the giant, to the big battle, you may face all kind of opposition. You may have someone trying to put you down and discourage you. And the devil says you can't make it. You're not educated enough. You don't have enough of this or that and the other. And you've got to overcome that. Why? How you do that? You focus on what God has available to you. You focus on him, the great divine navigator. No matter the storm, no matter how high the waves get, no matter how much the winds beat against your boat, you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Whether you lose your job, whether there's sickness in the camp, whether there's a death, whether there are financial needs, whatever the need may be. God, I am going to keep my eyes on you. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do for your glory. David took off the armor, left and picked up five smooth stones from the brook. I don't know why he got five. Someone said Goliath had four brothers. I don't know. And he did have brothers. I don't think David picked up five because he didn't think the first one would work. I think he knew the first was going to work. David had faith. You see, he was like Columbus. They said you can't sail that far. You can't go that far. This one turned him down. This one turned him down. That one turned him down. He kept saying, I'm going to sail. And he discovered the new world. There's a great world out there for you and I. The space is wide open. There are opportunities after opportunities. There's ministries and there's ministries and there's ministries. There are souls to be saved. There are lives to be changed. And it's all out there before us. But we've got to persevere. We've got to have faith. And we're going to say, I'm going. I don't care who is not or is going to sponsor me. I'm going to win. I'm going to do it. That's not mind over matter. That's putting your faith in the very word of God. David picked up five smooth stones, and the Bible says he ran toward the giant. He won't wait for that giant to get to him. He ran towards him. Well, when Goliath saw him, he, he laughed. He said, what are you sending this guy out for? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll feed your body to the bird. I'll take you just like this. You're a goner. But David said, you come to me with spear and javelin and shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host of Israel. You aren't fighting against me. Boy, you don't know who you're taking on. You don't know. And David, as I said, picked up those stones, put one in his sleeve, and he ran toward the giant. He had already overcome being a shepherd boy, being too young, 
not being a soldier. He'd already overcome the words of his brother. He'd already overcome Saul and all the obstacles that stood before him. Now he's running and speaking forth God's word. In other words, what David is really doing is prophesying. David is really, see, his faith is in God. It's not in all the other things. And he didn't allow discouragement. He didn't allow all the people that spoke to him. He didn't allow all the things that happened to him discourage him. But he took that stone and sling. And right into the forehead of that 10 foot, almost 10 foot person. He was covered everywhere but his forehead. But David didn't care. Wham. God Almighty, through the, through the skill of this young shepherd boy, took that rock and embedded it in, in his, that giant's forehead. And boom, to the ground he went. You know, there's a lot of giants that God wants you to take on. There's a project. There's a ministry. There's a goal that God wants you to set. And he don't want you to allow the winds of strife, the contrary winds to come against you, to stop you. He wants you to go forth and accomplish the thing that he's called you to do. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for the church leaders. It's for every born again, spirit-filled child of God. He's called every one of us. Can you imagine if all of us would leave this place today and this coming week, we'd slay our giants. We would put to naught those things which are trying to defeat us. We would, we, we would be overcomers. We would see this one get saved. We would witness to this person. We would intentionally, we would plan that this week we're going to win a soul to Christ this week. David did not allow these things to stop him. Uh, Columbus did not allow the things to stop him. And he wound it up here. But the first place he got to was the Bahamas. And he made four trips back and forth from Spain to America. The Americas, South America and these places. In Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died... In 1506 stands a monument commemorating the great discoverer. Perhaps the most interesting feature of the memorial is a statue of a lion destroying one of the Latin words that had been part of Spain's motto for centuries. Before Columbus made his voyages, the Spaniards thought that they had reached the outer limits of earth. Thus their motto was, Ne plus ultra which means no more beyond. The word being torn away by the line was nay, no. Making it read plus ultra. Columbus had proven that there was indeed more beyond. And the devil will try his best to tell you You've gone as far as you can go in your walk with God. You've gone as far as you can go in your ministry before God. But I'll tell you, if you allow the line of the tribe of Israel to eat away that no, there is no limit to what God will do in your life. 
That's a good place to that right there. I like that. I like that. God Almighty wants you to know, to know that if you have faith and you'll stay focused, not allow this culture, not allow our society to get you off course, there is no telling what God is going to do for you in these last days. Let me read what Gary Montgomery says. It is common for people to take the easy way, the path of least resistance. They allow themselves to be blown along with the prevailing culture wind, whether in fashion, whether in sports, art, music, politics, or sadly, ethics and morals. Taking no thought to their course or direction, they follow along with current trends because it is easier to go with the flow. When bad things happen or when they realize, listen to this, this is so important. And I see people like this all, all the time. When bad things happen or when they realize that they have ended up somewhere that they never imagined they would, instead of deeply considering the course of their life, many merely shrudge their shoulders and call it fate or they call it circumstances. In doing this, they show that they are ruled by the swirling winds of society around them. Montgomery goes on to say, rather than they exercise and control over their lives, they allow those trends to direct their journeys through life. They simply refuse to set a course, man the tiller, and make for a set destination, and simply because they want to fit in. And young man and young lady, let me tell you, the culture today may want you to fit in while everybody's doing it. Maybe everybody ain't doing it. And if they are, you're not going to be one of them. There's going to be a standard. There's going to be goals that you're going to set. There's going to be traveling in this life where you will be victorious. He goes on to say the prevailing winds of this Satan-inspired world sweep millions along in its intense velocity. It is beating against us all the time, and the struggle to resist is wearing. Amen? When you see what's happening in the world today, no matter what, where you see it at, there's so much, even this moved into the church today. God have mercy upon us. It is, as he said, sometimes wearying. Out of sheer exhaustion, some give in to those winds and conform to their whispered suggestions. It is especially easy to succumb to them when surrounded by peers, employers, friends, and neighbors. And these people who want us to follow them and their way of thinking. We'd rather go along than fight against it. We need to understand. However, and I'll end it with this. However, we are not to conform to the course of the world that the world takes. Instead, we are to set ourselves to follow a different line, obeying God and rejecting the popular trends of this world when they disregard his way of life. If they'll go against God, 
If it's not scriptural, if it's not in God's word, we're not going. This means that we must take the time to consider and decide where we want to end up. What is our destination? Where are you headed today? What are your goals today? Where have you your sights been what have your sights been set upon? Where is our home port? Then we have to learn to make right choices so that we will one day arrive there. Stop going with the tide. Stop trying to be like everybody else. Stop allowing the devil to make us just float along with the tide. Just go along with what's going on. And then we look back and we say, God, I have not, I did not arrive where I thought I would. Let me read once again this scripture that's found in, uh, Brother Mark, if you will, Ephesians chapter 4. So we are no longer children. You know how children are. They, they're go back and forth, they switch back and forth and, and they, they can't make up their mind and God don't want us to be, he wants us to be spiritually mature, tossed back and forth like ships on a storm and sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men. They're out there. Look white, but they're still out there. And they will deceive you by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal gain. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful faith. God wants us to keep our eyes on him. Let me encourage you to do something. Gain control of your destiny. Look to God. Not only gain control, but set your sail. Know who the captain of your ship is as you sail the sea of life. Understand as Columbus that it's a wide open space. And there are new worlds to discover. There's new ministries to discover. There are new uh, gifts to certainly be blessed by. God is doing that just us. Let me end by looking at number four and give you an illustration. There was a man standing on the, on the deck of a large ship with the captain. It was a dark night. You couldn't see hardly. And the ship was about to go in to the port. But all knew that it was a very narrow entrance. But this captain was wise. And this captain steered this ship and made its way through this very narrow entrance to the harbor and to the port. The man asked the captain, he said, listen, I know it was very tedious, tedious, and I know that you, you, you had to be very careful. Listen at me. How did you do it? And the captain said, you see those three red lights on the bank? And he said, yes. He said, when those three red lights become one, I know to go forward. And no matter what God has called you to do, 
no matter your goals in life, no matter your vision and what you want to do in life, there is a way that you can know God's will. Even in this day and hour in which we live, you and I can certainly know God's will. What are those three lights? Let me give them to you real briefly, if you will. First of all, the first light is the inward impulse. Something right in here that tells you, are you right? Are you going right? Are you traveling right? What is that inward impulse? It's the Holy Spirit. We need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives operating And we need to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying. The second light certainly is God's Word. I don't believe God's going to lead you in a way that's going to be contrary to His Word. Amen. I believe what God shows us and what God wants to do in our lives will be spoken to us through His Word. And every one of us need to careful examine God's Holy Word. Read it. Study it. Know it. So you have the inward impulse of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, you have the Word of God. And then thirdly, you have the circumstances. God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. And when those three lights come together, whether it's to make a move, whether it's to make a decision about your job, whether it's to make a decision about marriage, whether it's to make a decision about your ministry, whatever that is, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, God's holy word to guide you, and the circumstances that surround you. You see, God's not going to, as I said, God's not going to call you to do something you know you can't do. He's going to to do that. He's going to show you what he wants you to do.